You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, here he is. He's had his assistants pave the way to come in with the red carpet into our studio. We all bow to the majesty of Dr. History. As it should be. <laughs> yeah, you, right. You, uh, well, what can I say? Thank you. How you doing today? Well, you know, you have done such a tremendous job the last couple of weeks telling us about the railroads and everything. You have another story on that? You know what? I don't. I, I kind of found another one that I wanted to give today, and so we're going to depart from the railroad. Oh, really? Yeah. We're, we're off the track. We're off the track. <laughs> <laughs> this one is called The Ambush on the Coquille River. Coquille. Have you heard of the Coquille River? Where is it? It's in southwestern Oregon, not too far from the California border. How do you spell that? C-O-Q-U-I-L-L-E. So I think it's Coquille. I don't know. So it's not too far from the Rogue River. You've heard of the Rogue River. Yes, I have. That okay. runs right smack dab through the uh, Grand and right in that yeah. area. And the world's worst freeways that are never fixed and never repaired, and they're always working on them, are right there. Yes. So <laughs> okay. this one is going to be called, uh, the story is called Ambush on the Coquille. Okay. And it starts out by saying there were three great lifesavers on the frontier. Courage, desperation, and friendship. Really? And you're going to, as I go through this story, but I want to give a little background to this area. Okay. Okay, now, as I mentioned, this is southwestern Oregon, uh, not too far from Bandon and uh, Medford and that that area. Oh, okay. Wouldn't that be eastern? No, no, it's western. Oh, you, Medford. Oh, you're way over there. Yeah, on the oh, western side. Okay. Yeah, I was talking about Lagrand a minute yeah. ago with yeah. the Rogue. Yeah, okay. Anyway, you know, they claim that people have lived along the Rogue River and its tributaries for about 8,500 years. European explorers first made contact with the Indians toward the end of the 18th century. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's when they started trapping and other activities in the area. And so clashes sometimes became deadly between the Indians and the trappers and later between the, the Indians. Indians and the uh, miners and the settlers, which, you know, happened all through the West. And these struggles all actually culminated with what they called the Rogue River Wars. I've heard of that. Of 1855-56. Yeah. And it ended with the removal of the most of the Indians to reservations outside the basin. Really? Which was another case where they took their native land and moved them to another place. But well, Let me ask you this quickly. Were the Indian wars and the Indian battles that we have had many of them on our program, were they, quote-unquote, as serious as history portrays them to be? The thing you have to realize is that there was a, a, a back and forth, okay? The Indians did things, the whites did things. The Indians did, retaliated, the whites retaliated. I mean, it was a back and forth thing, and, and obviously the Indians came out on the short end. Yeah, but I you know, has history or stories been kind of inflated to the point where it might not have been as bad as we we hear? Let me put it this way, Zeb, there's been some stories I've told where I haven't gone into great detail regarding 
what happened. I see. And so I have, I I guess in a way, maybe sugar-coated some of the things that I have told on the radio just because sometimes they're a little gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but the interaction of the Rogue River Indians and the first uh, American settlers traveling through the area, it was pretty peaceful. And we know that in many cases, the Indians helped the pioneers. Yeah, that's true. A lot of times they helped them. They helped uh, keep them from starvation and from freezing. But uh, the situation changed drastically with the opening of the Oregon Trail. And, of course, the gold rushes into northern California and later into eastern Oregon. And larger groups of settlers and miners entered the area, and they consumed without restrictions the natural resources upon which the Indians relied on for survival, like, you know, the game and the fish and chopping down entire forests of oak trees. Uh, And the first recorded hostilities were caused by an American by the name of Ewing Young. Uh, He was traveling to Oregon in 1834, and his party murdered several Indians and buried their bodies on the island where the party was camped. Now, these bodies were later discovered by the local tribe. Well, and as I mentioned, they retaliated the next year. What was the reason for creating the murders? Who knows? I I, I think the the misconception that a lot of those guys had was that all Indians were the same. So this guy just basically and his his followers, they just opened fire. And, yeah, for whatever reason, we don't know. Wow. So, anyway... uh, they, the Indians retaliated the next year. They attacked an American fur trapping party that passed through, and four of the eight Americans were killed. There was a guy named Bailey and a guy named Gay that were two survivors. And in 1837, Bailey, Gay, and others were herding cattle north to the Willamette Valley when Gay shot and killed a native boy. Uh-oh. And he was shot in revenge for earlier attacks against the whites. Well, And there was no provocation. There no, was nothing to no, do there. No. I see. Well, so then the Indians raided the cattle drive and killed and drove off a few cattle. Oh, like I say, it was a back, back and, and forth. But really, the antagonism was unnecessary. It was. It was just, uh, you know, it's, it's a sad part. Yeah. So I'm going to get into this ambush that took place on the Cocoa River. So, as I mentioned, uh, that that Rogue River War uh, was in 1855-56. But we're going to go back a few years to 1851. Now, uh, the mining community around a place called Jacksonville in southern Oregon uh, was virtually isolated from the rest of the territory. And consequently, a group of 23 men under the direction of a guy named Tavalt was organized as an exploring expedition to discover a better route from Port Orford Orford on the coast to the gold mine so they could move things in and out easier. Well, there was two guys, a guy named Williams and a guy named Hedden, were members of this group of 23. So they were heading out. Leaving Port Orford in the middle of August, the men proceeded south to the Rogue River and deciding there to continue upstream along the north bank of the road. Now, all these guys were afoot. They were all walking, using what few horses they had as pack animals, mm-hmm. just to pack their gear. Right. Now, the going became exceedingly rough, and uh, it's considered today to be one of the roughest areas in the United States. And You've been over there, Zeb. I've driven through there. And Many times. To ride a horse or even walk through yeah. those hills with yeah. the thick timber the way it is. Absolutely. So, anyway, they only had 10 days supply of food, and that ran out. So, anyway, it became necessary to depend entirely on wild game for food, and that was 
scarce. And not only that, but there was only two men in the group who were experienced woodsmen. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense in itself right there. Why would they take off in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. But the party had proceeded about 30 miles up the road when, faced by starvation and exhaustion, uh, the decision was made to abandon their objective. Well, 13 men elected to retrace their steps, while the remaining 10, including this Tavalt guy, decided to turn north and try to make their way up to the Umpqua settlements, which they heard were somewhere in that direction. So, you got two groups now. So, after days of tortuous and difficult travel, Tavalt and his companions arrived on the banks of the Kokel River, near present-day Norway. Now, I looked at Norway, and it's kind of in that southwest area. Uh, again, not it's a little bit west of Medford, Oregon. You've heard of Medford. Yeah. And so, it's a few miles west of Medford. I was thinking it was fairly close to the California yeah, border. Yeah, right. It is. Yeah. It's not too far yeah. uh, above California. Well, they were tired. They were starved. Uh, The party discovered some Indians traveling in canoes, and after a bartering period, which cost them all their possessions except for their firearms. How do you barter with a group that wants to kill you? (laughs) Well, they had stuff. Both had something the other wanted. Yeah. You know? So, anyway, they... uh, Still had their guns, but they engaged the Indians to transport them by boat to the coast. Mm. Okay, now the, quote, friendly guides immediately sent a runner ahead to inform the downriver tribes that they were coming. i got to have a drink, Zeb. No, you go right ahead. Uh, Uh, You're going to have us all driven to drink here pretty quick. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are at September, 14th of September, 1851. Now... It's just a month after they had left Port Orford. Now, this ten, the ten men with their escort, Indians, arrived right. at a large Indian encampment about two miles above the river's mouth. Now, hailing the travelers in, travelers in obvious welcome and displaying venison quarters and slabs of fresh salmon, food, the villagers motioned to them to beach the canoes. Mm-hmm. Now... At this point, you've got to be a little, maybe a little bit suspicious. Yeah, you think? Okay, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Now, four of the men, including this Williams and Hedden guy, I'm going to talk about them, and two others, they were dead set against going ashore, but this Tavalt guy was kind of their leader. He, influenced probably by the food that was so temptingly offered, discounted the danger, and the canoes were beached. Okay, so, so we got the, ten men. And there, Oh, there were only ten? I thought right. there was 27. Yeah, they split up, though, into two groups. I so see. So this ten was the ones that we're talking about. I see. Well, no sooner had this been done than the Indians cast aside their friendship, and with blood-curdling yells, they fell upon the white men with their war clubs, knives, and arrows. Okay? And in the wild fight that followed, Williams found himself alone in kind of a group of Indians, kind of surrounded. Uh, he estimated to number over a hundred. Mm-hmm. Now the white man made it. This guy uh, uh, Williams uh, made a desperate attempt to retain his rifle, and in the free-for-all battle for it. The gun accidentally uh, discharged into the ground. Well, when the Indians momentarily... <clears throat> Sorry, Zeb. No, I got the same problem. Here. Don't worry about it. That's fine. Anyway, uh, they it kind of shocked the Indians for a second, and they kind of stepped back and let go of Williams, and he began swinging his rifle uh, around like a club. 
Okay. Now the stock that wouldn't against a hundred Indians. Well, by this time he had a smaller group around him. Uh huh. <laughs> but the stock, the wooden part, was soon smashed. But he still had the three foot barrel, and that was a pretty deadly weapon. And he kept kind of pushing himself forward and swinging around after each blow, uh, and he would hit in all directions. And he actually gradually gained some distance up, kind of a kind of a bank away from the river. So he was kind of getting away. Now. They're kind of the ranks of the encircling Indians suddenly it kind of thinned out. And Williams all of a sudden ran through the opening toward a dense bunch of trees. Yeah. Okay, so he's kind of left his buddies behind and some of the Indians. Now, the ones who followed took up a position on each side of Williams at a distance of about 15 feet, and they were firing arrows as they ran. Oh, wait, whoa, 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 stop. So he's got two Indians chasing him yeah and they're 15 feet away yeah and they're very poor shots <laughs> okay well you wait till i get to the good parts out <laughs> one carried a gun as well and he had evidently secured it from one of the unlucky white men that were already dead well william stumbled and fell on the uneven ground and before he could get up the indian with the gun had a muzzle against his chest and the gun misfired okay Williams was able to strike him down and grab the weapon. Uh-huh. Now, the second Indian rushed in, but his, this time the trigger was pulled and there was no malfunction. But Williams made the line of brush and trees and glanced behind him and saw no signs of further pursuit. He wasn't being chased. The Indians by the river were busy with their other victims, and six of whom they had killed. Uh, only Tavalt and one other escaped in the fight in a canoe. Okay, so you got two guys that jumped in the canoe and escaped. You got this Williams. There would have been three if I'd have been there, because I would have never left that canoe. (laughs) So Williams could stand, but with extreme difficulty. Now, you said they weren't very good shots with their arrows? Yeah. Okay, one arrow had entered into his body from his back, passed through his stomach, and lodged. This he pulled at until the shaft broke free. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. i got to ask, he pulled it out? Pulled it out. Until this is a the tough shaft son broke. of a gun. Yeah. But the arrowhead and the remaining piece of the shaft remained in his body. So he just got part of it out. You realize how close it is to lunch? <laughs> I'm not done. <laughs> Another arrow had broken a rib and left a gash in his side. Uh-huh. A third had opened up his scalp to the bone. A fourth dangled through a hand. A fifth was driven through a shoulder. Now, they weren't such a bad shot, Zeb. Whoa, 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 whoa. You've already got five arrows in this guy. His arms were covered with knife wounds. Oh, knife wounds. Yeah. Huh. So just to, you know. Okay, so, what else happened to oh, this oh, guy? Oh, well, we're just getting going here. Okay. So standing there, aware of his condition and fighting despair, he heard a voice whisper. Uh-oh. Williams. It was that of Cyrus Hedden, who had escaped from the ambush by making a dash through the center of the circle during the first onslaught. Okay, this is the guy that was swinging the rifle. Well, there was Hedden and Williams now. Okay. Okay, Hedden had hidden. Hedden had hidden? Had hidden. I I dare you to try that again. (laughs) And the other two guys escaped. So out of the ten, two escaped in a canoe. Now we've got two that have escaped by running Okay, so we got four guys. Yeah. Okay, and they're shot up like a well, piece of cheese. Hedden isn't too bad. Oh, okay. uh, he was bruised and kind of beaten, but determined to fight through and save himself and his friend if possible. Okay. Anyway, so they've escaped, all right? Now, for several days, the two men struggled north through the trees and the ravines and the underbrush. Nothing to eat, uh, but some kind of a snail, which they found in the woods. Williams managed to eat some of the snails, but... 
Hedden was unable to, to stomach them. He just couldn't eat these snails. So Could you? Anyway, no. <laughs> anyway, the nights were cold and Why foggy. Why did they stay in the canoes and go down the river? Well, you know, in the course of the fight, you know, they, they beached the canoes. Yeah. But two guys were able to get back in and head out. And the other two, obviously, at this point, couldn't get to the canoes. So they were running inland. So, oh, my goodness. Anyway, and... You know, you've been over there, Zeb. It's cold and it's foggy. Yes. Yeah. Now, Hedden slept in the late afternoons, but labored over his companion from dusk till dawn, rubbing him and striving to keep the circulation going. This is the guy that was shot five times. Yeah. And cut with knives. Yeah. And over and over, uh, the wounded man begged his companion, just let him die. Just leave. Yeah. Well, he wouldn't have in, done this, so Cyrus Hedden refused that. Anyway, at last, Williams was able to stagger a few feet at a time. Then the p- pain became so severe that he refused to go further. Well, Hedden hadn't answered that, too. So, twisting his own shirt into a sort of a rope, he tied it around Williams, looped it over his own shoulder, and kind of half-carried, half-dragged his friend onward. At times, he packed Williams on his back, and eventually they reached the south shore of Coos Bay. And you know where that is. Holy cow. There, they saw an Indian camp, and Hedden approached it carefully, entered, and found out from the Indian women that the Braves were on a hunt. So he hid Williams, and then hid himself behind a log, waiting for the Indians to return. Mm. When they came... Now, this kind of took some courage. He frightened, them. He, he frightened them into carrying Williams to one of the canoes and rowing them both to the north strait of Coos Bay. How did he do that? I don't know. But somehow he had his bluff. He in. should have got into politics. I guess. So anyway, he'd have, built, he'd have beat Hillary. <laughs> yeah. So Hedden then packed his friend on his back the 30 miles from north to the mouth of the Umpqua River. Holy Although he had to rest every 50 or 100 yards, he would not quit. You think? Can you imagine that? Uh, 30 miles carrying somebody that had to be at least as heavy as you were, probably. Well, and, and the guy being drugged with all those arrows. Yes. So anyway, wow. they found the wreck of an old schooner, and they used that as a temporary shelter. Uh, but the men were sorely in need of food. Well, Hedden set out to find some Indians to make a trade, and all he had was a knife with a beaded handle, and all he wore was a pair of buckskin pants. Well, luckily, he met a boat coming across uh, the bay from the present site of Reedsport, yeah. Oregon. Yeah. There was a young fellow on board that happened to have on two shirts. As soon as he saw Hedden, he beached his boat, came forward, took off one of his shirts, and put it immediately on Hedden uh, to give him some some warmth. Some, yeah, you know? it's cold over yeah. there. Anyway, Hedden, uh, uh, they uh, eventually the uh, next move was to get back to Williams. Yeah. Okay, because he'd left him back. And Hedden, he's the know. guy that's shot full of holes. Yes. Okay. Well. And that he survived was a miracle, obviously. Bedridden much of the time for the next seven years, he was cared for by friends and by the Heddens. He was in bed for seven years. Yeah, Yeah. well, he had. He was shot up, Zeb. He wasn't going to just jog jog home. Well, you know, normally in the movies, they're up and going to the grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he died in 1880, and he had actually. He lived another 30 years. he, uh, He had a considerable estate, and in his will, 
He says to my friend Cyrus Hedden, who had drugged him and hauled him, fed him, cared for him, and he says, I give and bequeath the sum of $5,000. That was a lot of money. Oh, that was huge. Yeah. So anyway, he died. Uh, well, How did he get his money? I, I don't know. I mean, originally he was a miner. Oh. So he, I'm thinking he may have had uh, a mine back there where he had left wow. that, that did well. But And he gave it all to his buddy that dragged him. Yeah, here's the here's a picture of Cyrus Hedden right wow. there. Wow. You now can that, tell by his face he's a tough bird. Well, and of course, that's an older picture, obviously. Yeah. But, yeah, you'd want him as a friend. Like I said in the, oh the beginning, the, the, to survive, you had to have courage, desperation, and friendship. Who wrote the story? Was it one of those guys? It had to be, um, wasn't it? see if I've got They were the only ones there. Yeah. Uh, this comes from uh, 19, about 62 a True West magazine that I yeah, had, yeah. and most of these are taken from original uh, diaries and journals, uh, but I don't see who actually wrote did, this. I, I guess the obvious question is, did they ever get the arrows out? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, i got to ask you that. I, I don't know. I It'd mean, be hard to buy clothes I know, <laughs> with the arrows arrow sticking out of you. Yeah, you know, you, would, you have to have a hole for the arrow. Pardon me, I need a triple extra large. Pardon that quiver in the back. Yeah, <laughs> see if you can sew around that. Yeah. That is an amazing story, and it that is. happened over in Oregon. Yeah. Boy. And, uh, you know, we've talked before about the bravery and the courage, yeah. the stamina of these men. I'd that, hate to think about dragging you 30 miles. <laughs> and I don't weigh that much. No. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt seriously if you're going to get shot on the way home, are you? <laughs> okay. I hope not. Call me from milepost 104. Yeah. We'll drag you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Doctor History, great job, sir. Now, next week, everything is well? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. What are we going to talk about That's next week? That's a good question. That's why I, I asked. You, you always have the answers. I know about next Sunday night I will. Okay, buddy. Hey, Dr. History, Dr. Ken Turner, heard in almost every country in the world because they love him. And and don't forget, you can find me on iTunes. There you go. And my webpage, dr-history.com. Got 160 stories on there. Have we done that many? Just in the last three years. We've been doing this for 10 years. We've probably wow. got 500 stories we've done. Why don't we turn it into a book? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm too lazy. Uh, okay. <laughs> we get old. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.